Today's show is sponsored by our good friends over at Tortuga Backpacks, the three backpacks that I use when I'm traveling anywhere in the world. That's right. I actually have all three models of their backpacks, the regular Tortuga Backpack, the Tortuga Air Backpack, and also the Tortuga Day Pack. And it will fit any of your needs, all three of those styles. So if you guys are looking for a backpack that you need for traveling, head on over to TortugaBackpacks.com and make sure to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That will get you 10% off your entire order, whether it's a Tortuga Backpack, a Tortuga Air, or Tortuga Day Pack, or even all three. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 170. The shortest driving route that passes through all 48 continental United States is 6,913 miles, starting in South Berwick, Maine and ending in Taft, Montana. It can take as little as 96 hours if you don't stop to pee. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a man who has seen and felt the wonders of the temples of Bagan, just like I have, and who values frugality as much as I do, but who spells it in a much cooler way. Jason Vitug, founder of frugal.com, and that's P H. R-O-O-G-A-L.com. Jason, thanks so much for joining me today and welcome. Thank you so much, Travis, for having me. I'm extremely excited. (laughs) Yeah, we're also putting this on Periscope. So we're live streaming this on Periscope. Jason's doing that for his audience. I haven't used it yet. That might be something we're going to implement into the podcast. So pretty cool. Breaking new ground here on this podcast. Yeah, it's, good. It's, it's pretty exciting <laughs> having two cameras working here. <laughs> <laughs> and putting together two people who not only love travel, but also love talking about how to do it in a way that's sustainable, fun, cheap. This is a recipe for a lot to talk about. We're going to get into tons of things about what led Jason to start Frugal while spending consciously, and I love this on your site, spending consciously is different than penny pinching, a lesson I've had to learn along the way. We're going to give you a sneak peek into Jason's epic 30-day project. He may be coming to a town near you, so we're going to talk about that. And of course, we're going to talk about cheap travel tricks and tips and why Jason built the lifestyle that he did, his dream lifestyle, around travel, because a lot of you guys like to do that as well. And I know the subject of money, Jason, right? And personal finance, people kind of think, oh, this can be dry, but really, you do it in a really fun way. And also, it's so important because we talk about dream lifestyle, this abstract thing. Create your dream lifestyle. It sounds like an infomercial. There's a lot of practical, logistical things that have to happen. So I'm really excited to have you on because we're going to talk about all that. Awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is really abstract when we talk about uh, the dream lifestyle. And, and here at Frugal and myself, I call it the smile lifestyle. <laughs> and so uh, it is abstract, but there are ways for us to, uh, to live out our dreams. It's just taking the steps uh, to do so. And part of that 
the big piece of that is the money aspect. And, and I don't want people, I know there are many things like, oh, money, money isn't really important. It's about the experiences. But with money, you're able to have more experiences. And there are, there are so many ways for us to experience the world, to travel the world, and really for, for the best bang for the buck. Yeah, it is. It's a necessary component to leading the dream lifestyle. It's probably outside of mindset and saying, I'm going to actually do it. It's it's probably the second most necessary component because without it and without using it in the right way, and we're not saying you have to have a lot of money. We're just saying you have to use what you have in a way that makes sense for you because so many people out there aren't doing it. We're going to get into all that. First, though, I want to start out with, with you and your love of travel. How did that come about? Was there a moment that you could pinpoint to say like, this is it. Like travel is a huge part of my life. It's not just a thing I'm going to do. It's like, this is a priority. Well, I have to go back with like with my parents. I mean, as a kid, um, every summer my parents would travel. So we would, we would do these trips to, uh, to uh, Las Vegas. I mean, we're kids, so I'm not sure why they brought us to Las Vegas, <laughs> but uh, we'll go to Disney World and we'll go to California and Seattle. So my parents really like the ingrained travel um, uh, like really early on. And, and so that, that was an early exposure. But as I got older, I mean, things changed, different priorities. And I really didn't know the, the financial aspect of the cost of traveling. But then when I got into corporate America, so as I, I, I followed the plan, right, which is go to graduate high school, go to college, get that job, get promoted, you make a ton of money, and eventually you'll be happy, you'll live that, that lifestyle. And every single time I kept marking those off in my, in my timeline, I'm like, okay, I graduated college, I am now a senior executive making six figures. Okay, so I'm happy. But with that said, um, in my role, I was traveling all around the country. Um, so I was going to all these different places, and, and that was fun. And I, was, I think that helped satisfy me in terms of like, my need to, to explore and experience different cultures and meet different people. Just that combination of as a kid and in my corporate job of like just traveling for, for work. And so that then brought you... To a, to a point where you were traveling for work and it was it was for work and it was still fun, but then you you took a backpacking trip through twenty countries. I think I'm getting this right. Twenty countries in twelve months. How did that come about? Because now you're like, I'm happy, right? I'm crossing everything off. I'm happy. So why are you then traveling through twenty countries in twelve months? Yeah, I, I think there was a point. So I mean, I I moved from New Jersey. I'm from the New Jersey area, and so I moved from the New York metro market to San Francisco. And for this dream job, I mean, um, before the age of thirty, I had the opportunity to become a senior executive. I was VP of marketing and business development, and I did that role for three and a half years. Extremely excited about the position, about the title, and I thought, okay, that's the epitome, right? I reached professional success, and I was on track to be the successor CEO of my company. And but I'm a millennial, so I had that aha moment where I was like, is this it? Is that it's like, is my goal in life to to to, to have this paycheck, buy stuff? I could go travel, but I was missing purpose, and I couldn't pinpoint what that purpose was. Um, I just knew that uh, it was aching inside, and I didn't know how to go about finding it. And, and so I made a leap. I made a leap, and <laughs> I walked into my CEO's office on June 2011, and I said, I think this is it. I'm resigning. And, and this and was it, with a company in San Fran. Like You moved to San Fran, and this was, this was there. Yeah, I was there for about uh, – it's outside of San Fran, Menlo Park, California, and I was there for three and a half years. And, and so I grew that organization from 65 to 110 million, 
So you can imagine that short period of time and the massive amounts of growth, they didn't want to let me go. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and so, so they were trying to do everything they can. And I mean, I love the board of directors, my executive team, and the staff because they wanted me to stay. And, but it actually took me six months to leave. So on June 2011, I sent in my resignation. It wasn't accepted. And, and then six months later, I finally walked out, out of the doors. What was that process like? Because so many people that come on, you know, there's a lot of people who say, I started traveling because I was unhappy or I didn't like my job or I felt trapped, all this stuff. You're kind of a, a little bit the opposite. And similar to what I was like, I liked teaching when I was doing it. I didn't hate it. It's not like I left this awful thing for something better. How did you make that decision? Because like you said, you had been successful and you liked it. So why? Why leave? I think for the most part, uh, I found more people like us as well who, who realize that you can love your job, and, but, but realize something is missing. And, and so it's, it's actually much harder. I think it would, now looking back, it's probably easier for me to make that decision, a quick decision, if I hated the, my position. Right. I didn't like the people I work with, but I enjoyed it. And so... But I knew something was missing and I was unhappy. And it was getting to the point where my interactions with, with, my, with my colleagues were a bit short and my patience were, was running thin. And, and I was changing as a person. And I'm a happy-go-lucky individual. I go with the flow, but I'm very determined and focused. But I knew there's something about me, about my personality that was changing and not for the good. And since I was cognizant of that and um, I said, I need to make a change. And so that was that, that change. It was like, okay, it's, I can continue on this path or I could do something completely opposite and out of character. And so I, I bit the bullet. <laughs> and, and that's it. What I think is interesting about that too is, you know, when I left teaching, I felt like if I don't go now, it's only going to get harder. And it's, and it seems like similar to you, but it's funny because, you can always think that like it's always going to get hard like i i did it and i thought this is the perfect time to leave but you know you were further along in your career you were you were a higher level this and that and you probably still felt the same way so i think that's important for people to realize is is that you know there's never a i guess what i'm trying to say is there's never a wrong time there's never exactly a right time but if you're feeling that you can go for it like you might have been able to leave a year before you might be able to leave a year in advance but when you're feeling that tug it's kind of ready to put the wheels in motion. You're, you're right. I, I don't think there is a, exactly a right time or a, or a wrong time. It's just you have to make that decision. I think ultimately it's like we think about all the things that we want to accomplish in life and all the decisions we need to make, but we have to make that one initial, like that big decision first in order to get to that. So uh, that prevents a lot of us in, in achieving or, or living that dream lifestyle. It's, it's like, okay, I, I want to travel the world. I, I want to own a home. I want to drive a Ferrari. And yet we're not making the decision we need to make today in order to, to make those decisions in the future. What was the feedback from people? Because I, that's a big part of making the leap. You know, I hear people say like, oh yeah, you made the leap and you did your own thing and, and you're living this dream lifestyle and I am living the lifestyle that I want. And I can say that confidently and say, this is amazing. But a lot of people, the reason they don't do it is they're scared to do it. And then when they get past that fear, then they're scared of what other people think. And then there's people saying, hey, you know, this is not smart. Like, look at all you're giving up. And I'm fortunate enough that most people around me were supportive. How was it for you? And, and if there were kind of these people saying, 
no, 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 Jason, like, this is going to pass. You need to stay in your job. You're making a bad decision. How did you deal with that? Um, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I, I had people that thought that this was such an awesome uh, decision. And I had others that thought I was nuts. Right. And like, like what, what's wrong with you? And I mean, my, my family, my parents, my brothers and sisters were extremely supportive. And they're like, uh, you've achieved a lot in, in kind of like the, the time frame. So when I put my mind to something, I'm able to achieve it. And they thought like, well, if you believe uh, this is something you want to do and can do, we support you. And, and you know that you'll always have a couch to sleep on. <laughs> so with, with that, like that, that took away my worry because at the end of the day, I'm like the love of my family, the love of my friend, my really close friends. I mean, that's what matters. And, and, uh, the folks that thought that I was nuts, it was just, yeah, you have to, um, uh, kind of stick with this plan and you're throwing away a lot of money and you're throwing away your future. I remember people telling me, it's like, you're throwing away your future. If you step away from this executive role, um, if you leave it all behind and, and I go, no, I'm, I'm beginning my future, my future of living my dream lifestyle. And, and so after the, the 12 months of backpacking around the world, those same people would tell me, it's like, I've watched your journey and I sit here in my office or in my cubicle looking at your pictures going, I need to do that. And they become more honest. They become more honest in terms of that they're scared. There's a lot of fear. And, and a lot of that too is that the, the mentality that's ingrained in us when growing up, like kind of like that path I mentioned, like you got to do this, you do that, you'll be happy. And then so that's ingrained. And at the, at the end of the day, they're like, I want to make this decision. And, and I go, well, that's a decision I made. And looking back now, I would not change it. I would probably have done it sooner. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but that's hindsight. But it is very powerful in terms of just making that decision. It's difficult. Um, but once you do, like, no turning back. Just look towards the future. It's incredible that the, some of the people, and I don't want to call them haters, because a lot of people were telling you, like, don't take this step. It's actually with your best interest in mind or what they think is your best interest. And a lot of times it's the people who know us well or, or want to see us succeed. They say, like, I don't think, you know, they have all these doubts and that's fine. I think you can't really discredit it and say, oh, I'm not going to listen at all. You have to push forward with what you're going to do, but take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's amazing, though, then when you do it, how much an impact you can have on their life. Because there are people like, oh, you shouldn't do it, you shouldn't do it. So all the things that they have, the doubts that they have for you are really almost them projecting their doubts, what their doubts are. And if they see someone like like you succeed or like me, they know I'm nothing special. They're like, wait a second, Travis is doing it. I can do it. So did you see that? And you, and you kind of touched on it, but was there an impact that you were able to have on some of those people who had those doubts? Exactly. That was it. It was, uh, I was having conversations with people who thought, who thought I was nuts. I mean, we sat down or we had a conversation before I left and like, they're pleading for me to stay and go on this. This just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it sounds interesting. It sounds exciting. Um, going gallivanting around the world. And, and I mean, they even added fear tactics. Well, what happens in a location that's not safe? And so I would go and, and share. I'm like, there are more crimes that happen within this area I live in than in this whole entire country. So I wanted to point out those facts. And, but then when I got back and they started sharing, sharing with me that they're like, wow, um, if you can do this and you, did, you traveled by yourself, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is what I need um, to make a change in my life or, or head in that direction. Um, so I did have those conversations with, with the quote unquote haters and, and with those that they, 
they become lovers at the end. Like they really, uh, they, they, they promote like the lifestyle, uh, that dream lifestyle and they're, they're living it. I mean, like one thing about my sister, for instance, and my sister is amazing. Uh, she lives now in Florida and, and she wasn't a hater, but she was a stream supporter. And, um, because of my 12 month journey, she's decided to say every month I want to do something pretty epic myself. So her and her husband, they have a bucket list and, and they've done some amazing things because of, uh, being inspired by me, her little brother, she, she's been to the Kentucky Derby, uh, Napa Valley, things that she wanted to do, but she said, oh, I'll do that when I'm older, when I'm ready to retire. And I'm like, well, you say your knee hurts. And so w- what would that be like uh, when you're 60 and right, you're when retired? when everything hurts. Yes. And uh, yeah, so it's just, it's been really amazing. And, and um, I am now constantly... Um, approached by friends and acquaintances on how they can make this transition. So I'm like, I'm no expert in that. I can share my story. And, and, but like, it is true, whether they were big supporters in the beginning to, to haters. I mean, at the end of the day, through the pictures, through the blog posts and the shares, they become inspired to go on their own journey. And I think that's one thing that people who are looking to do this and might feel apprehensive and they're like, how can I change and this and that? you forget the impact you can have on other people. You constantly think about how it's going to change you and, and, and all the effect it's going to have, and, and you worry it'll have a negative effect, and then you're happy it'll have a positive, and you go on this roller coaster before you do this stuff. But you forget that it, it's such a big thing for other people too, and if you can put that in your mindset a little bit, it's going to help spur you on because it's, it is bigger than you, and I think that's really neat that you're, you know, you as the little brother spurred on your older sister and you, the impact is much greater than yourself. But what changed about you after you came back from that journey? So you went 20 countries, 12 months, you left the, the corporate world and you're like, I'm going to do this. How were you different? I've never had more clarity in my life and, and the direction of the life that, that I want to live. And so that's what changed. I think uh, I got stuck in the, in the kind of the cycle, the hustle and bustle of, of life and kind of like that career progression and that aggressive career progression. Um, and uh, so I knew I was, I was hitting everything, all the marks that, that I wanted professionally and even like personally. Um, but traveling just gave me peace of mind and it gave me a better understanding of myself. And I remember telling family and friends, I go, I did not set out on this journey to find myself, but you can't help but find yourself. Uh, you spend so much time alone. And I mean, when I'm waiting for to ride a plane or, or getting on a bus or a boat ride, I'm spending time by myself and, and I'm thinking and I'm reflecting back on the moments back home in the US or the moments that I just experienced uh, an hour, two hours ago. And it seals in like that memory kind of like ingrains itself. And I get more out of the conversations. And because I get more out of the conversations I've had with people, I get a better understanding of myself. And, and I think that's what truly has changed for me. It's that I'm more confident. I'm more aware of the things that, that make me happy. Um, and so I'm able to choose that. And so when, when I have an opportunity of choose A or choose B, and both are extremely great choices, because I have this clarity and this sense of purpose, I'm able to easily say, okay, I'm choosing A. Because at the end of the day, if A doesn't work out, I can go jump into B. And, and so that's what's changed about me, my mindset. Yeah, it forces you to slow down, especially when you're traveling through countries where 
there isn't as much of a go, 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 go atmosphere like the U.S., especially the East Coast, where we're both from, very famous for being, you know, quick paced, you know, this, 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 let's move into the next thing. And and you get out of that, even in Europe, I mean, Western Europe, you go, it's like, oh, things are a little slower. They actually have four, six weeks of vacation. Like, imagine that. And then then you get to countries where it's not really go, go, go in the same way. It's like, hey, these people are just living life to, to survive on, on, on such a different level. It It's so amazing how you can actually stop and think. And you don't even have to say, I'm going to stop and think. When I'm here in the US, I'm like, all right, let's build in 10 minutes to stop and think and meditate. When I'm in Thailand and you're sitting on the back of a tuk-tuk and you're like, you're just, you're seeing it happen and you're also just processing and thinking. It's it's like nothing else. Yeah, you're you're in the moment, and and here I am. I'm I'm smiling, thinking about like when you said like we have like right here the hustle and bustle of the East Coast or the West Coast that we have to tell ourselves we have to schedule in. Oh, we need this 10, 15 minute break, and it's really amazing. And and so, but yeah, we get caught in that. And then when you when you get out of your comfort zone, you get out of the environment that you grew up in or you're comfortable in, like you realize like those those moments. So. Even when you're waiting for that tuk-tuk or you're waiting for the sun to set while you're laying on the beach, it's, you're in the moment and, and, it's, and it's such a, a, like, a peaceful time where thoughts are very clear or you're not even thinking. I mean, I think there are many points where, where I guess when you go, I meditate and, and I get to that point where I'm in the state where I'm not even thinking and when you're traveling because you're forced into these situations or this time where you're alone um, or these uh, experiences, it's you get that alone time and then you stop thinking. You're just in that moment. You're staring at that beautiful sun um, sunset and and you're lost in it. That that gives you clarity. And so many times when you're traveling, things aren't going as planned. So, hey, this train was supposed to come and now it's 30 minutes later. I'm still sitting here. It hasn't come. You know, I, I think with the advent of technology, for better or worse, sometimes, oh, then we're on our phone and we're not thinking. But it's it's like you can't force things when you're traveling to really go faster because it's not your home country. You don't really understand what's happening. You know, half the time you're like, am I even at a train station? Like, is this the right place? You don't have control. And I think that that's such a huge difference from when you're at home and everything seems like it's in control because you have to step back and say, all right, hands off, not in control. If I stress out about this or if I'm worried about this, it doesn't even matter because I can't fix it. <laughs> You're right. So in many ways, uh, I was a big control freak. <laughs> and um, I, I, I'm like, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but there are things that I want to make sure that, that uh, are controlled or controllable. And, and even on my journey, when I said, okay, I'm going to go backpack and, and I, I set out to say, I'm going to do 20 countries. And, and, um, so I wanted a goal. I, so I set a goal for myself and that, that was probably pretty ridiculous trying to jam pack all these in, in 12 months. But when I, my first country, I was in the Philippines and so I'm part Filipino. And so I was able to get a chance to speak with, uh, my, my family, my relatives, uh, distant relatives in the Philippines. And so I was there and I was experiencing the country and it was beautiful. And so I decided to fly from Manila to Cebu and I've never been. And so here I am, I'm in Cebu. I'm, I am a tourist. So I have my camera and I'm taking pictures and video and I'm just soaking in the culture and I love history. And all of a sudden I hear noise and, and like what sounded like a riot. And, and so people were, were running, cars were honking, the motorcycles were zipping by and I'm like, what is going on? And I stepped, I took a step back and people were screaming and I'm like, 
I'm like, it's a riot. I'm from Jersey, and my instinct was, it's a riot. I got to step back. So I went in a little alleyway to get away from people's like yelling and screaming. And but it wasn't until someone came up to me and saw me and said, "Run, tidal wave." And so here I am at that point. Um, I'm like, I'm on an island. Like, where is this tidal wave coming from? And now I'm running and I'm running and I'm, I keep looking back and I keep saying to myself, is that wave behind the sea of people behind me? And it was so chaotic. And, and so obviously I was safe. There was no, there was no tsunami. There was a, an earthquake in a neighboring island and there was an upswell. But it was just the lack of communication and the hysteria through text messaging that caused this panic. But because of that, I said to myself, I'm going to throw my plan out the window. I said, I was like, I wanted an adventure. And my first stop, I had an adventure. So, and uh, I don't think you need to have that life or death moment. Um, it was just something I would have never experienced, things I saw on TV, and I was right in the midst of it. And, it, and fortunately or unfortunately, it happened right at the beginning of my trip that just told me, I'm like, there are a lot of things I can control in life, and there are many things that I can't. And this is an opportunity for me to just kind of go where the wind flows. And, and so I threw out my plan in terms of the countries I would visit. I went and, and I said, who am I going to meet along this path? And, and I'll, I'll sort of follow their journey or take their advice. And, and, and that's how I ended up in, in places like uh, Bagan, Myanmar. I mean, a country I never heard of. And, and <laughs> so... But it was one of my favorite places to visit. It was untouched. Um, and, and even like when I was in Singapore, I, flying from Singapore to, um, uh, to Cambodia, I became a count. And so I became royalty. <laughs> so that wouldn't happen if I stayed back home. And uh, that, that's something pretty interesting. Yeah, too. you like, have to. You, you can't leave us hanging here. How are you? <laughs> count Jason Vitug. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just I was applying for my visa, and somehow in my paperwork, uh, the the title of count was added onto my visa paperwork, onto my airline tickets, everything. And so here I am, like Count Vitug, and well, checking into an airplane. Like you know, here I am at the airport in Singapore, checking into my flight, and they're looking at my my passport, and they're going, "Your name is not Count," and I'm like, "Yes, it's Jason." And they're like, well, your, your ticket and your visa says count. It needs to say count. And I, and I had to explain to them that it's a, a title, such as Mr. or Dr., and then it's count. And, <laughs> and so, uh, so that was really interesting. And they wouldn't let me on the plane. And uh, eventually, I was able to speak with someone. And, and I said, and I had to say, just like, just like a prince is a title or your majesty, I go count is the title. And so... I became Count Vitug, and um, I was meeting a friend of mine who was, uh, uh, he was doing his own backpacking trip in Cambodia, and so I, I, that's why I was flying through into uh, Siem Reap in Cambodia, and he saw my itinerary, so I emailed my itinerary to him, and so when, when I saw him at the airport, he had a sign that said, Count Vitug, and so I, I saw him, uh, gave him a hug, I started laughing, and he goes, 
I read your email and it said uh, Count Vitug's itinerary, and I go, I just couldn't let that up, and I had to greet you with that title. Well, man, I didn't know I'd be interviewing royalty. I think I have to go back and do that whole intro again now, right? <laughs> that is, it's so cool. It's funny. It's funny how those little things can be such a hiccup, but it's also funny that, yeah, like how would that ever happen? You know, you don't even know. You can't plan it. It, it's completely fly by the seat of your pants. That kind of stuff happens. And now you have these stories for the rest of your life. Tell us a little bit about the, the the itinerary that you did end up taking just to give people... I mean, everyone listening loves travel. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of wanderlust coming out here. <laughs> you don't have to hit on every country if you can't remember. But what was kind of the path that you took? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I started in the Philippines. Uh, I went through all of Southeast Asia. Um, and I mean, even East Timor. So wow. I went to Timor Leste, yeah. Um, so that was really interesting, and and I mean the UN was just pulling out and and things like that. So, but yeah, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, um, Vietnam. I mean, and and even Tokyo. I, I spent time in, in Japan as well, and so uh, yeah, all of Southeast Asia. I went to Central America. So I was in Costa Rica, Mexico, um, Nicaragua. So like in those places and in Western Europe. Uh, Germany, London, England, uh, Portugal. So I, I hopped around. I mean, <laughs> I was like, okay, someone, someone would call me, or or I would speak with someone, and they're like, oh, you should go here, and and I'd look and like, wow, that's a. a uh, at that point, I was I was accumul- I had a, a ton of points from my travel back from my corporate job, and I was using that to partially pay for uh, for these trips. A man uh, after my own heart, <laughs> zigzagging and. And people wonder, it's like, well, the, one of the big questions that I get asked about this, this like 20, 20 country excursions, like how much did I spend on this? And um, I can't recall the exact number, but it's anywhere between, I think, ten and $12,000 uh, for a whole entire year. And majority of that was, the cost was me traveling to Southeast Asia from the New York area. That was the highest cost. But then also with, with hotels, I mean, I stayed at, I mean, I discovered couch surfing because I met I met some people that said, "Oh yeah, you should couch surf in in some places." I went to Brunei, and I didn't even know Brunei was in in Southeast Asia. I, I thought it was in the Middle East. So did I. I remember <laughs> the first time I saw, it, I'm like, "What?" I thought this was a Middle Eastern country. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too. And and so from Indonesia, I was able to get into Brunei and or Malaysia. Here I go, I like mess up with my map, but. Uh, uh, it was really expensive to find a hotel and, and finding a, uh, a hostel or a guest house is really non-existent. I mean, it's one of the richest countries in the world because of their oil. And, and so someone said, you should try couch surfing. And, and that's how I discovered couch surfing. I, I met a French expat who was te- who's teaching at uh, one of the universities and showed us the, the ins and out of Brunei. And it was awesome. And so from that point on, I was like, I was able to save using couch surfing and, and also engage with people traveling that have traveled. So they kind of know the lifestyle aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a built in, not, not only is it, uh, you know, we had Martina Steinman on who, who's the, one of the directors at couch surfing. Awesome interview. If you guys get a chance, make sure you check out that podcast, but it's pretty cool because not only are you getting a, a cheap accommodation, I, it's free. I always suggest, you know, you bring them a gift or you take them out to dinner, something like that. But you're then ingrained with someone who is either has grown up there or is an expat, lives there and knows it. And it's like, wow, now I don't even have to figure this out. Like, you know, if you get a good host, they'll take you out or they'll at least give you advice. And so you have these authentic experiences 
and you're saving money, it's it's just such an amazing resource for people who want to travel on a budget and have that authentic experience, which is basically what we try to do here. That's correct because it's they they're they're not from the country. I mean, like some of them are from the country, but many of them that I stayed with were not from that uh, that country themselves, and so they have both experiences and they know the culture. They know the culture. They know the places that's not in the guidebooks because um, they live there, and and so I do recommend it because it is fun, it is interesting. They have a different perspective, and and like yeah, it's like you're you're saving money with that excursion. Is there any guess that you can make for how many nights you spent couch surfing? So you were away for 12 months. Is there any like percentage you can say, I probably spent this much couch surfing, this much in a hotel, this much in a hostel, this much camping? I don't know what else you did. Well, you, you think that since, uh, since uh, my, my world right now is all about personal finance and I include budgeting, um, yeah, uh, I, I kept track of it uh, for a good portion. Um, I think I want to say uh, probably 10% of of my trip was through uh through couch surfing and that's because i i i only learned about it towards like the latter half gotcha. of of my of my trip but um yeah so it's something that that i look at when when i'm traveling This wraps up part one of my interview with Jason from Frugal. And if you liked what you heard here, don't forget to tune in to part two of the interview, where Jason discusses how he tries and succeeds in making personal finance interesting, why spending consciously is the key, and how it is much, much different from penny pinching, a lesson that I just learned recently and also the details of the Frugal Tour and how you can see if he is coming to a city near you. I also want to give a big thank you to our sponsors over at Tortuga Backpacks. Head to tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget, if you buy something, use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, and you will get 10% off your entire order. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Thank you for the continued support that is making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And of course, until next time, happy free travels. I'll see you.